0: Well, Jesus lands uh, on the shore, and he is presented with something horrifying. Actually, uh, because Jesus and his disciples are Jewish, they're presented with several horrifying things. Uh, the first is actually a tomb or a, a graveyard of some kind uh, that's considered unclean. You don't go spending time there. Uh, you're, uh, they, excuse me. The uh, Jesus also landed in garrisons. Probably it's a little trickier than that. This is also Gentile territory. You're not really supposed to spend much time there if you can avoid it. And then of course there's the elephant in the room: the naked, demon-possessed man who has known zero uh, signs or sense of community or social interaction, or anything like that. Uh, I think, at at the very least, it speaks to the fortitude of Jesus' disciples. Because if I were in that situation, and we landed, and out of the graveyard comes a naked guy screaming, Hey Jesus, it's been good, I'm out of (laughs) here. Nope, 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 I'm going to draw the line right there. But that's obviously not what happens. Uh, so this guy runs up to Jesus and uh, we are told that he is possessed by demons. And right away like that concept, even just the word demon, is multi-layered for us. There's always some kind of baggage with that. Either uh, the baggage of just total disbelief, like eh, we know that that was something else, Uh, or the baggage of, well, when I grew up, my family or my church community way overemphasized that, and it got really weird and uncomfortable, and I don't even want to talk about that. Usually in a room this large, I would think, or I think, you'll you'll have that spectrum. Uh, So we're going to talk just very briefly about that whole idea of demons, demon possession, or whatever that is. We don't have time to really get into the mechanics of it or, or anything like that. And besides, I don't really know. Um, sometimes, when the New Testament writers talk about a demon possessing or demonizing somebody, the language that they use sounds like something that we can explain as modern people. I'm thinking of uh, one time in particular, and for the life of me, I can't remember the reference, Um, but it's very clear that the person that they are talking about and describing as having a demon probably just has epilepsy or some kind of seizure disorder. Because when you read the description and with modern knowledge of how the brain works, that's just what it sounds like. Other times the demonized person or the demons acting on behalf of the demonized person take on a kind of personality personality that can communicate but is subhuman meaning in the sense that they're incapable of of acting kind of autonomously on their own they're incapable of creating And when you start getting into that territory, I think we're actually talking about something very dark and evil. I think that's the case here. Um, These demons take on a personality. They they recognize who Jesus is. They have certain kinds of desires just for like self-preservation And if a person or human being even only acts out of self-preservation, we might say that they are not acting fully human. But then there's a whole other layer here, because Jesus asks what their name is. And in the ancient world, and really in the modern world, uh, if you know somebody's name, you have a certain kind of power over them. And that makes some intuitive sense, because if I just were to say your name, just instinctively you will, your head will snap toward that direction. So Jesus asked their name, and apparently their name is Legion. Um, Luke, the text for today, is written in Greek. Legion is not a Greek word, it's Latin. And there is one entity associated with the word Legion that we have all heard of. There's the roman empire dividing their armies into legions uh, and in fact just south of the garrisenes or uh, the opposite side of the sea of galilee uh, there was uh, legio 10 legion 10 known as Fratensis. they uh, their imagery their not really iconography but their um, the images that they use to identify their legion are full of like uh, seafaring things like ships and pigs, which is interesting, um, primarily because Roman soldiers love to eat pork, and I get that. We're good. I, I identify with that. Um, now, that leads into some other weird questions, like, wait, is this political commentary rather than a story about a demon? So, as best I can tell, it's both. It would be like if, uh, say, at uh, at the zoo, an elephant broke out of its enclosure and did a bunch of damage, or a donkey broke out of its enclosure and started kicking a bunch of people. I could take that story and I could tell two stories. I could recount the events, And then I could also make it political. Elephant and donkey being about the Republican and Democrat parties respectively. I suspect that's what's happening here. The demon identifies himself as legion and that's just too good not to put in. So this is, on on the one hand, a story of Jesus and his power over the dark, weird, demonic powers. This is also political commentary because, as it turns out, that nearest legion, Legion 10, was instrumental in destroying the city of Jerusalem and its temple. There's two stories going on here. Now we're going to add a Third. So this guy runs up, he's like, ah, and, and then the demons are like, just don't send us, back, send us back into the abyss. And that leads to another question. What is the abyss? I don't know. <laughs> it's someplace they don't want to go. And the demons say, hey, send us into that, that herd of pigs or that group of pigs. And the pigs all rush down into the water and drown, which is weird for two reasons. According to my research, pigs are not a herding animal. They're like cats. You can't like, get them to travel in a herd. And also, I think pigs can swim. So, I mean, obviously, fact check that. I'm a California boy. I don't know. Um, the demons leave this guy. The pigs drown. And this guy is now at peace. And people run off because they're scared. I would be too. I'd probably run with them. And they come from the city, and they see this guy that they would have known. Because apparently people try to control him his entire life. But whatever that dark power was that kind of drove him was too strong. And so they now see him clothed, which would be appreciated, and in his right mind. And they see the pigs that are gone. And they do not want anything to do with Jesus. Because they recognize his power. Now, power over demons. But you can also imagine Luke winking. Saying also, who has the real power here? The Roman Empire or the, son, the true Son of God? you decide. But then this guy, who's now well and healed, he wants to go with them. Do you find it strange that Jesus says no? And commentators wrestle with this, and, and I think I fall along the side that recognizes that, that by Jesus saying no, go home, go back to the city and proclaim what God has done for you. He is actually giving this man a gift. A gift that he has lacked for most of his life. He gets community back. He'll get the gift of having friends. Maybe he reunites with his family. I don't know but he gets to function in society as a human being, rather than being plagued by these sub-human forces. And that is a gift. I have no idea if this is what they intended, But I am very grateful that the people who put together the lectionary had that reading in Galatians as well. Because the Apostle Paul makes this outrageous statement. There is neither uh, male nor female, slave nor free, Jew uh, or Gentile, Greek or barbarian. Those are the dividing lines. And in Jesus... Paul is saying that those things that would divide us and have traditionally divided us are gone. And, it's an, and rather, he's inviting us into a new way of being community. A new way to function as a human being. Now, put yourself into the scene where the people from the town come, and there's this guy, and he is well he is wearing clothes, thankfully. And, and, and they see the guy who made him well. And now they're freaked out by that kind of power. And they have a choice. Do I engage in this deeper sense of community? Or do I back away because it's too scary? The church can be like that. Have you ever, this is a rhetorical question, please don't raise your hand or answer this, have you ever walked into a church community function, either in worship or over there for Bible study or or on Wednesday nights during the school year or anything like that, and you walk in and you go, oh man, that person is there. Oh, this is going to be a chore. Notice I closed my eyes when I said that. I've said something like that, uh, similar to that a couple years ago, and was accidentally staring right at somebody. And was like, no, 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 not you. (laughs) Um, that, That way of doing community can be scary. Because sometimes the wrong sorts of people get involved, which is exactly how God wants it. Sometimes when we are confronted with the power of the gospel as it has gathered everybody, gathers a diverse group of people with opinions that you consider wrong or ways of being that you consider taxing or pasts that are scary or present situations that are horrifying, we are presented effectively with a choice Do I take a step forward, or do I run away because I feel a little too uncomfortable with it? The Gospel of Jesus is an invitation to take a little step forward, a little step closer, recognizing fully that it is horrifying. I would imagine that at some point during this conversation, some people, maybe some situations, have come into your mind. Sometimes, of course, boundaries need to be drawn. I'm willing to tolerate this. I'm not willing to tolerate this. Because if I tolerate this, it will destroy me. That's not what I'm talking about. But maybe the Holy Spirit has identified someone or, or people that is encouraging you to engage in Jesus' name. And that's a good thing. Because think about the beginning of this story. Jesus steps into something horrifying. A graveyard, a possessed naked guy, who has not been well for a very long time, some weird other political layer that I'm not really sure what to do with, and he engages that horror. I, I was reading something uh, uh, or came across something earlier this week that um, it, it was kind of about crucifixion in and, and like a broader Roman sense and and uh, the, the writer was specifically trying to drive home this point that it was meant to be horrifying in the sense that it is truly horror. And, he, and as, as he laid out his argument, he, he did, because um, when you talk about crucifixion, you have to talk about Jesus at some point. And he said that what was remarkable is how Jesus engaged that horror and how Christians immediately after were willing to recognize that horror. Jesus engaged that horror for us. His body was just obliterated because that's what crucifixion does in that horror for us. And when he was raised from the dead three days later, and this new reality broke in, it redefines who we are as fully, truly human beings. And fully, truly human beings can engage that terrifying thing we call community, can step toward the people that make us nervous, can learn to love those around us that maybe are hard to love, because after all, Jesus loves you too. Amen. I invite you to rise.